In the morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you today? Thanks for once again joining us at St. Mark Bemidji's podcast. Today is our Sunday edition, which features the sermon from the Sunday previous. The sermon for today is titled, Our New Clothes, from Matthew chapter 22, verse 1 through 14. Let's read that now. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burnt their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. And now, let's listen together to today's meditation on God's Word. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, the one who invites you to the marriage feast of the Lamb, amen. Preached on Jesus' parables on multiple occasions in the five years I've been here as pastor, and I think every single time I've mentioned this, but it bears repeating. Whenever you come to a parable or a teaching of Jesus, those those parables of the Lord, The Sunday school definition is what? Earthly story, heavenly meaning. Whenever we come across one of these in the Bible, it's important to note that every single parable has one main point. When we were at seminary, the fancy word that described it was the tertium, the heart. The heart and the core of the teaching. And this morning... As we examine this parable of Jesus and meditate on the words of Matthew chapter 22, we find the heart of the parable that Jesus shares revolves around the clothes. The wedding clothes. The new clothes. It's the bombshell that he drops at the end of the parable. It's the main point that hits the hardest and drives home what he's trying to teach to his disciples, to the Pharisees that are listening, and still today to us. And honestly, I can't think of a better object lesson to teach the meaning of what Jesus is getting at other than what is standing in front of you right now. Me. 
well, not me, but me, what I'm wearing. Why does a pastor put this garb on every single week? What's the deal with the, with the white robe? I mean, this isn't comfortable. It's not business cash. Certainly wouldn't catch me walking around town in this. Why does a pastor put this on every single week? Well, like everything in church on Sunday morning, it's really designed as we are a, a liturgical church. Everything is designed and has a function or a purpose. Nothing is done in church that happens in front of the church arbitrarily. It all has a purpose and a truth that is spoken to in the Bible. And the truth that, 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 that the, the white robe of a pastor reflects is the white robe of righteousness that all believers have. As St. Paul says, our lives are hidden in Christ with God. Our lives are hidden in Christ. And so when you see me, you're not just seeing me, per se. I'm covered up. And I'm standing as a representative, really, of the, of the whole congregation. Now, every week you get to come to church and see your quote-unquote new clothes on display, and I'm your willing model. If you want one, I'm sure our secretary, Aaron, will take measurements and you can wear them in. That would be weird. <laughs> the simple point is this, that in the eyes of the Lord, a pastor doesn't stand different or apart from those in the congregation. I have a sinful nature too, just like you. Rather, I'm representative of the congregation. And when you see me, I'm covered. Aside from um, my face, there's nothing that defines me. I become part of the furniture up here. You're not thinking about the color of my tie or my maybe questionable fashion choices. Nothing. You're focused on the white robe and anything that would mark me as me, aside from my own face, is covered up. It's representative of the white robe of righteousness that covers over our sins, our iniquities. It's a reminder that when God looks at you and He looks at me, He does not see sinners. He sees those who have been washed clean in the waters of forgiveness like Conrad was this morning. Washed clean, purchased and won, washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Not dirty, covered in sin. Not there on their own accord even, but rather there because God has called them His own and provided new clothes. In the parable for this morning, Jesus pastors those who should have been Israel's pastors and teachers. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Yes, His disciples are present there too, but it was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who presented Jesus with this, with this question. By whose authority do you preach, teach, perform miracles? And so Jesus gives them this parable. A parable about a wedding banquet. And there's really a lot here. You could, you could break this parable apart and preach on any given part of it if you really wanted to. But we don't have time for that this morning. 
So let me give you a, a, a little rundown of how much Jesus crams into these few words. He begins by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. We might just blow right past that phrase. He's talking about something specific here. He's talking about what the kingdom of heaven is, how God planned the whole plan of salvation. This is what the body of believers, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is who you are in relation to, uh, in relation to it. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. A king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. Hmm. Jesus is teaching that God the Father had planned to reconcile the world to himself through his son, united forever like a marriage. In the Bible elsewhere, we see that the church, God's people, are described as the bride of Christ. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Jesus is pointing the Pharisees back to the Old Testament. Remember when the people of God received prophet after prophet after prophet carrying the word of God? But what happened? They were rejected. They were turned away. And Jesus goes on to, to, to say that they were even beaten and killed, persecuted so much that they were driven away. Jesus gives them a little history lesson with a picture here. So then the king says, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But what do they do? One to his field, another to his business. And I think this goes a little bit beyond the simple, um, I, I'm preoccupied with the things of life. I have more important things to do. That's certainly true. But within the context of a parable, and the parable that Jesus is teaching here, the emphasis is on work. And what are the Pharisees famous for? Trying to get right with God on their own accord, on their own merit, by keeping the Ten Commandments as best as they were able to keep it, thinking that by our works, by our very important works of making ourselves righteous, that is how we will get into heaven. Jesus wants to set up the contrast. He wants to set up the contrast between that attitude and what God has given. A free meal. A glorious, undeserved free meal. You're invited. Come. Sit down and eat. You don't even have to do anything for it. My oxen and my fat and calf have been butchered. Everything is ready. Come to the banquet. Just come. You're not doing anything to earn this. I'm just inviting you. The Lord has spoken. That's why Isaiah 25, our first reading for today, is paired with this. He will do this. People don't earn it. It's just something that God has done. It's something that He is doing. You're simply invited. The theme of our service today is insane rejection. You think about this in the context of the ancient world. How insane would that be? where people had to oftentimes work for their food, blood, sweat, and tears poured into the ground. Yet here is a mighty king who is opening up his great hall for a wedding feast and saying, everybody come in. I kind of gave the illustration before as I introduced one of the readings, saying if somebody offered you a million dollars, one million dollars, no, maybe not. 
$1 billion? How's that? If somebody were to offer you a billion dollars and you turn up your nose at it, that's the sort of equivalent uh, dynamic that's going on here. The king is being gracious. He's opening up his, his entire home to all of his people, sending out these invites. Come on. Come on in. And people are saying, no. I have more important things to do. I can get in on my own. It doesn't make any sense. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they didn't think they needed an invitation. They thought that they could get in on their own. I'm going to get in on my own. I don't need a freebie. I can do this by myself. So they don't go to the, to the wedding banquet prepared by the Lord, the King. So more servants get sent out. And now who's being drawn in? Anybody. Everybody. Gentiles. Romans. Greeks. Tax collectors. Drunks. Prostitutes. Anyone. Just come into the wedding banquet. And what do those people have in common? They all know that they need a free meal. They, don't, they know that they can't do it themselves. I can't work my way in. Not after what I've done. Not after the stains on my clothing. But they know they can't get in by God's good graces. They need that invitation. And they need the gracious meal that's been prepared for them. But when the king came in to see the guests... He noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And now we come to it. He asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. See, this is why I said that the parable hinges on this idea of the clothes. This is the heart of the parable. The wedding clothes. Back then, just as it is now, wedding parties wore the same stuff. In fact, in Jewish tradition, in Jewish culture, it was more so. If you were wealthy, if you were a king, you provided a wardrobe to everybody or provided clothes to everybody that attended the wedding. Everybody matched. So to put it in our own context, um, for those of you who are married, what if on your wedding day you show up and you're standing up in front of the church and you know they're, they're, they're playing um, the, the bridal processional march and the people are coming down and you notice that your best man showed up in business cash, khakis and a polo shirt. You'd be shocked. Like, didn't you go get fitted for a tux, man? What's going on? That's the same sort of thing that goes that, that, that's happening here. That's the same illustration. This person who was at the wedding feast thought, I'm fine. I'm good enough. My attire is okay. And everybody that's there, the king or the other wedding guests or the bridal party, they can just deal with it. I came in here on my own accord. I'm, I'm fashionable enough. This, you know how much this shirt costs? Costs a lot of money. It's good enough. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for them. It's arrogance. It's audacity. It relies on works. Look what I bring to the table. This is what I got when I was going about my business or when I went to my field. This is the rewards that I have. Look at what I was able to do for myself. 
I got in here on my own. But the king comes and looks at this guy dead square in the face and says, how did you get in here? That's not good enough. Those clothes are not good enough. We need new clothes. What we are needs to be covered over. Because on our own, we are not enough. We can offer nothing to God or enhance what He has already provided in the blood of His one and only Son. This parable drags the sinful nature, our sinful nature, out into the light, kicking and screaming in multiple different ways. On the one hand, we recognize that the sinful flesh wants to reject, insanely reject that gracious invitation of God and often finds more important things to do rather than hearing and learning the Word. For one thing, the sinful flesh thinks that yeah, what we do is enough. Yeah, if i gotta, if I got to skip, i got to go to work, i got to do that sort of thing, that, that money in my pocket is more important. When the last I checked, our government still, believe it or not, still allows for people to take off for an hour on Sunday morning to go to church. There's recreational activities. People even use family as, as an excuse. Well, i got to go do family stuff. Who gave you your family? By whose power do you live and move and breathe and have your being to begin with? You know, I came across a crazy um, uh, statistic the other day as, as I was preparing for this. I, I just looked it up. Um, and maybe if you're good at math and you know the numbers, you can probably figure this out on your own well enough. But... The two, if you go to both church and Bible study, if you take those roughly two hours on a Sunday morning, do you know how much, what percentage of your week that is? 1.2%. That is 1.2% of your week. And sometimes that is even too much to our sinful natures. Isn't that crazy? You go through our whole week getting dashed on the rocks of sin and temptation and drugged through the mud by the devil often in what amounts to the spiritual wasteland of the world that we live in, and still, on Sunday morning, our sinful nature says, that's eh, fine, sleep in. You don't need that. You're, you're good enough. Go ahead, work extra. You don't need to hear the Word. Or, this is family time. Sinful nature then has the audacity to turn around and say, you're fine. You're a nice person. You did this one thing for that one guy and you said this and made that other person feel good. It's okay. God's fine with you. You know you're all right. Your clothes are good enough. That's insane. Sometimes this fleshes itself out in the temptation to say things like, I don't want to go to church because I don't like that person or I don't agree with them or I think they're a bunch of hypocrites. In other words, my clothes are fine. I don't know about them. The reality is our clothes, nobody's clothes are fine. We're not good enough on our own. Jesus teaches us plainly that all this thinking can result in hell. Yes, if you skip church on one Sunday, I'm not saying that that results in hell, but realize that the temptation is the same as that which leads to unbelief or relying on oneself. Understand that we need to be covered from head to toe. We need new wedding clothes that have been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. We need to be reminded and shown what the Lord has graciously wrapped us up in. 
that robe of righteousness, that our sinfulness is out of His sight. It is hidden with Christ in God. Daily we need that reminder of our baptism, that we've been washed clean of sin. And just as there was nothing that little Conrad did this morning to earn or deserve it, the Lord has washed him clean, given him rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. If there's nothing that we can add, we can do to add or subtract from the grace and the mercy of God's invitation and what He's already called us to. We need this time in church every week to be reminded and recall for us not a passing fashion trend or something that will go out of style in a couple of weeks or months, but rather clothes that will last into eternity. An outfit that, we will, la- that will last into eternity. And we see those things on Sunday morning on display, right? Here's your robe of righteousness. Now what's behind me? The altar, the table of the Lord, the foretaste of the marriage feast of the Lamb. God calls you and says, this is my body, this is my blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Come, take, eat, take, drink. There is your invitation. As we come before the Lord's throne and we are reminded weekly of the new clothes that we have. It's a reminder of our new identity. It's a reminder that we're not to focus on what we're wearing or what we are doing, but rather what God has done for us. That He has called us His own. That even as we have to walk down here through this, what amounts to a veil of tears every single day, we recall that we have new clothes like that which Conrad received this morning. We have all been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. And we're reminded that with these new clothes, we don't have anything more in common with this earth than our Savior Jesus does. That this is a picture of heaven. And it empowers us then as believers who have that new identity. I know what I am, not in my own sight. Maybe not even in the sight of my family or friends, but I know what I am in the sight of God. I am a washed and redeemed child. I am at peace with Him. And it gives us power to go out and live our lives as God would have us live as Christian parents, employers, employees, students, and church members. To love as He loved, to forgive as He has forgiven us. Because we know how much we need new clothes. Take a look and we see as we confess our sins to to the Lord, we know how much we need new clothes. We know how much we need that robe of righteousness. I know how much I need it. You know how much you need it. And we know how much those out in the world need it too. What a blessing it is to be the messengers in the parable. To continue to go out and call others. Come to the wedding banquet. Come to the feast. Come to God's grace. Come and see it. Come and see that God's given you new clothes. Amen. We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine services are held right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. 
Our church services are live-streamed at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings and are available afterwards on our channel, St. Mark Lutheran Church Bemidji. If you're listening or watching this podcast, you are cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. This is our fourth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarkbemidji.org or look in the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. You can also search for St. Mark Bemidji on YouTube to find our channel. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again, www.stmarkbemidji.org. All scripture readings are taken from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 2011, and are used by permission from Zondervan. Meditation's daily devotional is published by Northwestern Publishing House and is also used by permission. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and telling a friend. May God bless the rest of your day. salvation free lasting to eternity